I should have died, but I'm alive. I should have lost everything, but God came through and he provided. I got the job. We're having a grandkid. I think I met my new best friend. Have you ever had that thought? I think I just met my new best friend. I think we found our home church. I passed the test. Here's your driver's license. Congrats. She said yes, and we all know it's because she went to Jared, right? That's clear. (laughs) My loved one just trusted in Jesus. So I want you to just take a moment, and I want you to find one good gift that God has given you recently. And I want you to get it in your brain. It could be small. It could be big. And I want you to just hold on to it. James 1.16 says this, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. So whatever James is about to say next, there is apparently a strategy to deceive you and I about the origin of every good and perfect gift. He says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. The same God who made the stars and the sun is blessing you, not just with their beauty, but with everyday things to bless you. Whether you're a Christian or not, you experience the mercy of God on a daily basis. So Christians, let's just take a moment. Do you have the thing in your brain? Just one thing, that's all I'm asking for. I want you to hold on to it because I think for you to get through the rest of this sermon, you're going to have to keep that thing in mind. You ready? It was a normal day until we visited the doctor. I was just driving and it came out of nowhere. I had unusual pain. I never thought it would lead to this. They cut us out of their lives. I got the phone call. My life was never the same. I lost everything. We weren't invited to the wedding. She left me. So for for most of you, there is a pain or a loss or a trauma that is, it's just always just under the surface. Do you know what I mean? And, And honestly, the preaching and teaching of God's word rubs against these things almost every week. And so one of the most common things I hear is like, okay, was that sermon for me? And I, I think so far, I try not to preach sermons for people. I try to preach it according to the text for the church. But, but I'm, I'll be honest, like sometimes I'm like three, four, or five people on a Sunday will come up to me and say, was that about me? And I'm like, I promise you, you weren't in my brain when I was putting this together. And I, and I think in the middle of all the pain and loss and trauma, probably the most consistent question that people come to God with could be summarized in one simple word. Why? And, and we say it in all different ways, but at the, at the end of the day, when we can't understand why something happens, m- many of us, we just crumble and disintegrate. We actually want to, sometimes we need to know why. So before we get to John 9, and before we finish our series on Jesus versus evil, what I want to do is I want to share with you I think one of the most important truths from Scripture, and I want to kind of explain it, and if you are a part of Hill's Church, if you've been here for a little while, this is not a new truth. I have mantras that I say over and over again that I think summarize really important things that I think everybody needs to know. 
And, and you don't get truth into people's brains by saying it once. You say it over and over and over and over again. And you hope that it gets through from our heads into our hearts and it becomes second nature. So here's the truth, and then we're going to explain this. God allows, ordains, or permits all things. If you had like 15 blessings that came up in your brain when I said, think about the good thing, the gift, right? This is a great truth today, isn't it? But, but if right now you're in a place of suffering or trauma or pain or loss, this will drive you crazy. But it doesn't change its reality. So I want to unpack this together. God allows, ordains, or permits all things. There are some things that God permits. And as I have taught on this in the past to different degrees, the most common question I get is, what is the difference between allowing and permitting? And I want to explain this. I think it's very important. Permission tells us that there is something off limits. Permission was asked for and granted. That is very different than than allowing. So in Scripture, we see that in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, that somehow Satan himself has access to God on his throne in heaven. And when he goes there, he has an agenda. And so we see at least there are two things in Scripture that Satan does when he comes to the throne. Here's the first one. Satan accuses Christians of sin. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. The accuser of our brothers, he has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And so if you're on Satan's brain and he goes to the Father, here's what you know he's doing. He is accusing you, slandering you, lying about you. Sometimes he's even telling the truth but failing to understand that God has forgiven you through Christ. Here's the second thing that Satan does. Satan requests special permission to harm Christians. There are rules guiding how demons can interface with Christians. As you open up the scriptures, you see that there are certain things they cannot do unless they get permission. So if they're going to go outside of the spiritual laws, they need to go to Jesus and say, might I do this thing? You see in the book of Job, what does Satan do? Satan wants to harm Job, but he can't, so he needs permission. So he goes to God and he asks him for permission. Why did he have to ask him for permission? Because what he wanted to do was against the rules. So he needed permission. Jesus tells Peter the following, Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. And what did he want to do with Peter? That he might sift you like wheat. And to sift means to separate with the implication of ultimately breaking it apart. In other words... Satan came to Jesus and he said, let me do to Peter what I did to Job. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that a, a demon was actually sent to torment him. And in any other circumstance, when Paul prays, what happens when you pray in Jesus' name? Scripture says if you stand up to Satan, if you oppose him, if you resist him, he is obligated by the spiritual laws of the universe to flee. So why is it that the Apostle Paul is praying Three times he says, take this thing away from me. 
And the Lord says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. This demon needed permission to go outside of the bounds of the rules. The rules are, if Satan comes near you, you resist him in Christ, he is obligated to flee. Do you see this? Like There are circumstances in life that are demonic in nature and permission needed to be gotten by God for that thing to happen. God allows, ordains, or permits all things. Second, there are some things that God ordains. We need to be careful with this because there's what scripture explicitly teaches. And then we often wonder as we look around the good or the bad of life, did God ordain this? Did he come up with it in his mind and then ensure that it was implemented and executed? So here's what we know. The creation of each individual life, whether in a tube or in a womb, is ordained by God. The boundaries of leaders and nations ordained by God. The birth murder, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, ordained by God. The second coming of Jesus, ordained by God. How a person is saved, ordained by God. Ironically, for those of you who like to gamble, Proverbs says that the roll of the dice is ordained by God. And so one of the perks of being 100% God, 100% good, 100% wise, is that every impulse that you have ever to allow, ordain, or permit something is always the best impulse. And so here's what we as believers have to kind of step back and say, if God did indeed maybe ordain something, I have to step back and say, it is coming from the God who is 100% good, 100% loving, 100% wise, and of all the options in the universe, whatever this thing is, was objectively the best within all the constraints that are, that are before him. God allows, ordains, or permits all things. The third, and this is we say all the rest of it, God allows. I really wish that God would allow less evil in the world. But in his infinite wisdom, God allows people to make decisions that harm other people. For example, we see that parents, we are free to make decisions that crush our children. We see that presidents are free to make decisions that move nations to war, resulting in unbelievable death. We see that governments can make decisions that facilitate death. We see that each one of us, we make decisions that actually harm other people. Benefit of the doubt, most of it was on accident, but some of it was on purpose, right? And so like, this is part of what it means to live in this world. All right, now right now, I think I have adequately prepared you for what we're gonna watch happen in John chapter nine. I want you to look at verse one with me. And in John chapter nine, Jesus is gonna answer one family's why. And Jesus' very short answer, it is loaded with implications for all of us. John chapter nine, verse one, as he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, so I want you to listen carefully to, to this question. Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. In other words, why? Like, why did this thing happen? And what this singular question reveals is an entire belief structure, a whole system of ideas that they have been taught by first century rabbis that is actually just, I think, flat out sort of evil. But in the question, what you see is a dominant truth and you see a lie. So here's the truth. Physical disabilities are absolutely the wages of evil. 
Yes, we know that when Adam and Eve sinned, sin passed to all men. And so what you see is in your physical bodies, absolutely sin has corrupted us. All of us in this room are sinners who have fallen short of God's glory, but it has also corrupted every single molecule in the entire known universe, whether it's a part of an inanimate object or a living being. That death was written on every single molecule that has ever existed. So guess what happens when death is woven into the very fabric of everything? It all disintegrates. It all moves in the exact same direction. So in their question, there's both a true and a lie. Here's here's the truth. They get it. That there's disabilities and physical brokenness because of the evil in this world. They get that. But there's there's an implicit lie here, and I want to draw our attention to this. The lie is that physical disabilities are a curse caused by an individual's sin. And this was a lie taught. They didn't know it was a lie. Probably, the benefit of the doubt, the rabbis had good intentions, right? But this is what was taught. If you're born blind or if you're born with a disability, then your parents or your grandparents or someone in your lineage did something to upset God. And therefore, this is why you were born with this disability. I mean, all bad ideas are bad, but some bad ideas, they are utterly devastating. And an entire and permanent culture of shame and isolation, it was created around certain communities of people in first century Israel because of these lies, wrong, false, deceptive teachings that were going, that were going on. Now, let's be honest. Old Testament law isolated some people temporarily uh, because they had contagious diseases or for ritual cleansing and purity. And that's just smart, If someone has a contagious disease, would you like the Lord to put in a policy that isolates them from you for a period of time? Can I get an amen? Amen. But the intention of Old Testament law was not to create entire cultures of shame that last forever throughout the totality of someone's life where they are isolated and treated like absolute dirt because of something they couldn't control. So the theology of these disciples, we're learning very quickly, it needs some correcting, does it not? So in verse 3, Jesus is going to intentionally dismantle this evil idea. Verse three, he says, it was not that this man sinned, nor his parents. So here's what we know. Let's unpack this. Two things. Number one, a person is not born with physical disabilities as a result of an ancestor's sin. Easy enough, right? Okay. So what is passed down biblically or scientifically from generation to generation? Three things. Number one, generational sin patterns are in fact passed down from generation to generation. And it is not a mystery that children don't just duplicate the unrepented sins of their parents, but amplify them, amen? So that is passed down. We see that in scripture. Number two, discipline for parents' unrepentant sin. The experiences of that culturally are passed down. For example, if a mom and dad in Israel were to worship idols, then foreign nations would come in and overtake the land and the children would be enslaved. That's real. And we see this practically in our day as well. Parents make a series of decisions that impact the quality of life for their children and successive generations. This is common sense, by the way. This isn't like crazy. We also see a third category that some physical disabilities are inherited genetically, but that's not because someone sinned. That's because all of us have sinned and sin flows through our veins. That's just a reality that some people unfortunately have to deal with. Now, first, verse three, he continues... He's just going to dismantle this unbiblical lie. And he finally gives them the why for this specific man's suffering. He says, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, 
but that the works of God might be displayed in him. God allowed, ordained, or permitted this man to be born blind from birth and to experience a lifetime of suffering up to this point. You guys know me. I like to say it bluntly. I don't want to mince words. I don't want to try to make something nicer or more fluffy in bunnies than it is. I want you to just look at it, and I want you to feel the weight of what's going on. So that Jesus in this moment might get glory and people would see the power of Jesus and worship him. Now, I have a question for you. What is Jesus allowed to take from you? Jesus, I will worship you until you take my fill in the blank. I want to tell you why I asked this question. Because I think for most of us, we almost live with this idea, particularly if our bodies work, that they're going to work forever. But they don't, do they? If you're like, I don't know, over a certain age, have you noticed that things aren't working as well? Anybody? Thank you for your honesty, appreciate it. If you live long enough, your body will stop working one part at a time until almost nothing works. So when you see a wheelchair short of death, that's your future. When you see a blind person short of death, that is your future. The eyes fade. Amen? I, eighth grade, I needed glasses. I was like, what the heck? What's it going to be like when I'm 90? I'm going to be blind as a bat. Muscles atrophy. Ligaments stretch. Bones break and become more brittle. Every one of us is on the pathway to functional disability. Do you see that? This is our future. The difference between some people and everyone else is they get it younger than they expected or they get it younger than the average. And so if you say to him, uh, you are not allowed to, I'm not, I, I will not worship you if you put me in a wheelchair. Well, what will you do when you're 85? What will you do if you get in a car accident? Will you still worship him? We have all of these little things that like, like you can't do this to me. I cannot guarantee you what the Lord will allow, ordain, or permit between this day and the end of your life. But I can tell you this, because sin has infused every molecule on the planet and every person alive. One by one by one, the things you love the most are going to die and be threatened. Here's the deal. There is a resolve and a decision that the believer makes now. Christians look at the world realistically realistically, we know how things are going to pan out. We don't deceive ourselves with platitudes. We don't just turn the other way. We face reality. And so there are decisions that every Christian needs to make. And I think one of the most important ones is, my life is yours. Do what you want. I will worship you no matter what. Because if you can't make that decision now, one by one, everything you love the most will fade away and be taken from you. That's life. 
That is life until Jesus comes back and until the new earth. But that is life. And if you talk to anybody who is old enough, you know what they'll tell you? One by one, everything that worked stops. The people I love died. The things I invested in failed. God is good. Years ago, I talked to an old, godly man. And I sat with him, and he said something to the effect of, Michael, I wake up every day with dreams and ambitions. And then I try to get my legs over the bed to get out, and I can't. This man was fully strong, viable, functional his whole life hit his 80s, and things started to just stop working to the point where, honestly, he felt like he was disabled. And so this man, though, spent an entire lifetime committing his life to the Lord. Whatever you bring, whatever you allow, whatever you ordain, whatever you permit, I will worship you. All right, so I have four so what's. This is the fastest I've ever gotten into my so what's in the history of preaching, There's good news here, don't worry. May evil, in all of its effects, in other people, in your own body, the impact of sin, may it inspire you to ministry. I want you to watch. So Jesus is gonna heal this guy. We know that, we've already taught on that, but but I want you to watch what Jesus says next. He's looking at the disciples and this is the lesson that he has for them. When you face all of this, He says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Day here means while I'm still alive. Night is coming. What does night represent? Death. When no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In other words, let me summarize. Jesus, he still has work to do while he's alive and he intends, despite the evil all around him, he is going to shine like a bright light showing people the truth about who he is and drawing people to himself for salvation. But then he says the words, he says, we. This isn't just a Jesus thing, this is an us thing. So I get it, you look at the world and you're like, this is nuts, this is all crazy. And then part of you wants to get mad and be angry at sin for sure but don't let it make you sin. Some of us, we just freeze. We're like, I'm out. I'm one person. I can't do anything. I'm overwhelmed. Well, that's not the answer. The answer is make disciples. The answer is build the kingdom. The answer is, yes, the world is evil and crazy. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to be the light of the world. And we are going to actually serve and love and we're going to bring the gospel to people and we're going to build up one another because the days are evil and we need people to see Jesus Christ. Okay, so let me get personal with you. I, as I was preaching, I don't want to be the guy who's like, do this. And then I don't ask myself, what does this mean for me? So what will I, Michael Feeling, do about this? Well, I can tell you that I have no intention of retiring from ministry, although one day I'm going to have to retire from working for sure. But like, so the day I die, whatever my body endures, I just want to make sure that I have a kingdom mindset about myself. Um, I'm not going to use excuses. Sorry, this might get a little, I might push a button here. I don't, I mean, I mean to, I guess, but I'm not trying to be mean, you know. I'm not going to use COVID, church attendance statistics, Um, my children can't get up for 9 a.m. service even though they go to 8 a.m. school to not serve my church. Do you know how many excuses I have to not serve, to do so many? I'm not gonna use them. There are so many excuses everywhere of people enabling me and you 
to not serve and love and invest and to build into people for the sake of Jesus. Uh, personally, I'm going to double down while I'm still alive. My wife and I have given, uh, the Lord has given us the privilege to have, I think, three overlapping communities where we can serve and make disciples and invest. And so I want to make sure, this is just my season, that particularly like Village Church, we make disciples here and we do everything we can to push you towards Jesus. I want to make sure that with my kids' school, um, that I can invest there because that's where they're spending their life. I want to make sure that in my home that we're making disciples, like these worlds of mine are converging and I'm just like, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to make sure that I'm intentional about the places where God puts me to make disciples and to invest and to build his kingdom. So the reality of evil, here's what it does to us. It makes us ask why, rightly so, ask why. Sometimes the Lord gives you the answer and it's great. But if you stop at why and it doesn't motivate you to ministry wherever he has planted you, whether it is your work or your church or your school or your neighborhood, we are missing the entire point of what's going on. So what I want to encourage you, and maybe the Holy Spirit's already prompting something in your brain, is what ministry has he put before you in light of the evil in this world? Or has the suffering of this world caused you to say, I'm out, I'm done I'm going to go into consumer mode and apathy. That's real. That's a temptation, isn't it? And, and honestly, the world gives you the permission to do it. But the word of God says it's still day. You're still alive. So we, we're going to be the light of the world. And number two, I want to encourage you with this because I think this, this is just so beautiful when you understand the goodness of God. Before it got to you, it had to go through Jesus. I don't know, like, I could not tell you for most things in your life whether God allowed it, ordained it, or permitted it. Here's what I can tell you. If he ordained it, you're going to learn its purpose soon enough. On the other end of whatever God ordains from you is probably a seasonal calling. If God did ordain a certain piece of suffering, or if he did ordain a blindness or a physical disability, I can tell you this that quickly is going to be used for God's glory and you are going to be called to minister to people with that thing. The Lord does not ordain things willy-nilly. The Lord ordains things on purpose, with purpose. If he permitted it, here's what you can know. If permission was granted to the demonic realm for your life to be more difficult, you are doing something really well because the demonic realm doesn't waste their time with people who have no threat. And so if that does happen and maybe the Lord gives you some discernment and something happens in your life where you're like, holy moly, this is like, this is an intense spiritual attack. Step back and just say, what am I doing that's bringing God glory that is such a threat to the evil one and double down on that ministry? If he allowed it, he will use it for good. And you guys can debate this next statement in your community groups. How much good it's used for, it's up to your attitude. Like, he's going to do good with it. He's going, to re- he's going to redeem it, but doggone it, we can make that process really, really, really ugly, can't we? The Lord wants to take the thing, the trauma, the pain, the loss, the suffering, the unmet expectation, and he wants to use it for his glory. He wants to use this. And if he has allowed it, he will use it. But our hearts need to remain surrendered to him in that. So what, number three? Even in the face of evil, God's mercy has been infused throughout all of creation. 
when Adam and Eve sinned, what was supposed to happen to them? They were supposed to die. And it was God's mercy that even though spiritual death happened immediately, physical death was postponed. And so there are all of these acts of mercy. And, and here's the hardest part. We, don't, we, don't, we probably don't have eyes to see them, and some of them we won't see, but I'll just give you a couple simple ones that I just find, I think, really encouraging. The fact that physical death was progressive rather than immediate is mercy. And that singular fact is the reason every single one of you are going to go to heaven. Because you didn't die the moment you were born like you deserved because of your sin. The fact that our bodies can fight disease is mercy. The fact that all of these things that want to corrupt and destroy our physical bodies and then woven into the very fabric of our bodies the ability to fight them off, that is mercy. Disease should have killed every one of us multiple times over if it were not for what God put into our bodies to keep us alive so that each one of us could meet Jesus. The fact that our bodies can heal, that's mind-numbing to me. That you can cut us open and blood pumping through veins and somehow it all doesn't just leak out of us and it heals by God's unbelievable design, that's mercy so that we can stay alive if we are not a Christian to meet Jesus and if we are a Christian to be light. The reality of the conscience placed on every human being ever born to mitigate evil in this world so that the world is not as crazy as it could be, what a mercy of God that he has given us. We're tempted to ask, God, why is it so bad? And one of the things that we were working through in our preaching prep was kind of the opposite question. Why isn't it worse? And no matter how bad it is, could you imagine if the Lord took his merciful hand off of humanity, how much darker it would be? And so I step back and I think to myself, it's, it's, it's objectively, some things are objectively terrible. But even in this, thank you for your mercy because when I get to heaven, maybe one of the things I'll ask is how bad would it have been without your merciful intervention? And finally, number four, cast your eyes to the new earth. During Jesus' ministry, he demonstrated that the Effects of evil are powerless in his presence. It's interesting because when we get near sickness, we get sick. When Jesus gets near sickness, sickness gets healed. He has power over all of this. And every one of these little miracles that he does, they're real and they're objective and they're life-changing and they have a purpose. But they're also these beautiful reminders that what God does in little pieces here and there, like if you've had the privilege to experience any level of healing, that is just a micro picture of the total healing that is awaiting for you on the new earth with resurrected bodies. We are not just a Good Friday people. We are an Easter Sunday people, and we believe in the resurrection of the dead. Romans 8.18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, and Paul suffered as much or worse than most people I've ever met. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so what the apostle Paul does is he casts his eyes towards the new earth and this hope keeps him grounded. This is temporary. 
We can do anything if we know it's temporary. It's when it feels like it's forever that it is soul-crushing. And he's like, listen, this world is hard and it is challenging and it is suffering and there are disabilities and and if you don't get it now, you're gonna get it later if you live long enough, right? All of this is coming for us, but I'm telling you, if you don't have eyes that look to the new creation and resurrected bodies, Jesus is showing his power to show us not just salvation from sin, but what awaits us. The power of God won't just heal our broken eyes, but every single part of our physical bodies as well as our soul. Like that is worth looking forward to. So we celebrate communion and you know, we say this in communion, as long as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, what do we do? We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And even this act of communion, yes, it looks back. Yes, it looks in, but it looks forward. And we just say, we need to be people who look forward to the new earth. This is not a fairy tale. It is not a gimmick. It is essential to the Christian faith. And so we look forward. And what I want to do is I want to take a moment and I want to pray with you and for you. And then after that, we're going to celebrate communion here. But um, I, I don't know what the Holy Spirit is prompting in your brain or your heart, but here's what I know. I knew from looking at my sermon notes that there is no way that this wouldn't poke at almost every single person in this room in one way or another. If your life is great, have you been giving God glory and has that inspired you to, to, to serve and love people? If you have been through hell and back, have you, have you been emotionally crippled and you have put God aside not realizing he's actually made you and designed you for ministry and for love and for service. Yes, there's a period of grieving. Assume that I'm assuming all of that. Can we agree? Maybe you've just been like, I don't know, completely apathetic and the the Holy Spirit's like, it's time to be done with this season. I don't know what it is. There is no humanly possible way though that this content gets said out loud and we read this story about Jesus and our hearts aren't pricked and provoked. So at the end of the service, I ask the same question all the time. What is your next step? We're going to sing in a little bit. We're going to celebrate communion. I'm going to ask you again at the end of the service, but I just want you to be pondering in your heart, Lord, what do you want me to do with this reality? Your Holy Spirit is not sitting there, not working. He is active in me as I preach. I'm being convicted of things. I don't probably tell you guys that all the time. Like there's a voice in the back of my head the entire sermon like, ooh, watch that. Oh, that's not good. Good job, Michael. I'm proud of you. Like the Holy Spirit is also like, I just don't tell you all of that because you don't care to know, right? Because he's doing his own work in you and I don't want to get in the way of that. And so what is the next step? What is the Lord putting on, on your heart? So let me pray and then we'll celebrate communion together and worship. Father, just come before you and so much to celebrate in this world, so much pain and suffering. I thank you for every one of my brothers and sisters in this room. I thank you that your Holy Spirit indwells each one of us through faith in Christ. And I thank you that you personally are attentive to each one of us. You are able to personally encourage those who need encouragement this morning and motivate and convict and help and provoke and incite. You are just so good and so personal to each one of us. And Lord, we have, according to scripture, the ability to quench your spirit. So would you overcome that this morning? Would you not allow us to quench anything you're trying to do? Would you keep us tender to what you are doing in our hearts? And so Lord, we also are just aware that um, 
we have an accuser who doesn't just accuse us to you, but accuses us to ourselves, and, and our own mind is sometimes capable of doing that. And so would you root us in truth and reality, and would you give us the ability to love you no matter what you allow, ordain, or permit in our lives. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. So as we get ready to partake of communion, there are elements over to my right at the column, also my left at this column, and then between the double doors. If you didn't get them on the way in, you're welcome to get up and grab them um, anytime um, in the next moments while I'm speaking or while we worship together. And communion is an opportunity to remember what Jesus has done for us. It's not just the mercy of what he saved us from, but it's also the grace and the good gifts that he has given us that are through Christ alone. And so my prayer for all of us is that as we celebrate communion, you would just be filled with unbelievable gratitude, not just at the mercy of God, but the grace of God in, in your life. Uh, if you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus, um, there are just kind of two simple things for you. Number one is um, if... if you have not believed in Jesus and don't intend to believe in Jesus this morning, um, we ask that you not participate. Um, nobody will pay attention, look down on you, but, but there is a proclamation that we as individuals make when we partake of communion. And we are declaring that we are sinners. We believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We believe he rose again. And we have made a personal decision to apologize to him and ask him to save us. If you've never done that, then we ask that you not partake because the actual act of partaking is a communication that you've done that. But maybe this morning you are aware that you need to trust in Jesus. And so my encouragement to you this morning would be trust in Christ. Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins and was raised from the dead? Are you willing to apologize to him for, for your sin? Are you willing to ask him for forgiveness? Would you ask him to save you? If you do that, his promise is that anybody who asks for forgiveness it is covered by the blood of Jesus. So if that's a decision you want to make today, we want to champion that and encourage that. And, and we want to invite you, partake of communion with us. In fact, let the partaking of these elements be your confession of sin and your proclamation of belief in Jesus Christ. And if that's a decision you want to make today, again, we'd love the opportunity to come alongside of you, to encourage you, help you take a next step, anything. It would literally be our joy to celebrate with you, to resource you, and to help you learn how to follow Jesus. So we're going to have a time of silence, opportunity to confess sins. I'll pray, we'll sing, and then we'll partake together at the end. Let's have a time of silence together.